Welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, an integrative health podcast by Center for New Medicine. We created the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast as an extension of our mission to educate and empower individuals along their health journey. This integrative health podcast will bring you in-depth expert interviews on a plethora of health topics. Tune in bi-weekly for interviews on how to create a non-toxic lifestyle, integrative approaches to treating complex health concerns like diabetes, Lyme's, Hashimoto's, Crohn's, adrenal fatigue, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, cancer prevention, early cancer detection, integrative cancer treatments, and so much more. Through the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, we hope to provide cutting-edge, science-based information you can use to create a happier and healthier life for you and your loved ones. Welcome back to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast by Center for New Medicine. I'm your host, Leanne Lindsay, and today is an interview with Dr. Daniel Roney, a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner here at the Center for New Medicine. And we are going to be diving into an integrative approach to diabetes. So this is an incredibly comprehensive interview with Dr. Roney discussing what are the different types of diabetes, why he believes diabetes is on the rise, why many people have undiagnosed insulin resistance. We're going to look at the difference between a conventional medicine approach to diabetes and then an integrative medicine approach and what some of the really specific tests, protocols, um, modalities, and supplements that are available here at the center that Dr. Roney regularly uses to help patients reverse their type 2 diabetes. And just a quick reminder to always check the show notes because we add in plenty of links to any of the resources mentioned during the episode, as well as links to our website and our contact phone number if you wanted to make an appointment with any of our practitioners. I have no doubt that this will be an incredibly informative interview for you to listen to. And if you do find it informative, please share with someone who you think could use this information, as well as leave us a positive review and or subscribe so that you can get notified every time we release a new episode on the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. And with that, enjoy this interview with Dr. Daniel Roney. Well, Dr. Roney, welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. So excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. This is great. So today we're going to be going through an integrative approach to diabetes. But before, before we dive into that, go ahead and just share with the audience, since this may be their first exposure to you, your background, your medical background, and then the role you play here at Center for New Medicine. Sure, sure. Yeah, I started um, back in college, uh, athletic training, sports medicine, and I had a degree, or I got a degree in biology as well. And so trying to figure out after graduation what route to take, uh, I wanted to get into sports heavily. So I decided to go to chiropractic school and get a degree in chiropractic to help with the sports therapy aspect of things. And so 
you know, as it as it goes, you you open a practice and you start to see more mainstream issues like low back pain, neck pain. Uh, you we see car accident cases and things like that. So our clinic was a lot of rehab, a lot of sports medicine, uh, massage therapy, acupuncture, Cairo, and we we did well with patients. We we got a lot of people uh, better. However, there was segments of the population that just weren't improving. And it drove me nuts, right? So what, uh, as far as a benefit that I saw back then, uh, a, a friend of mine would refer me fibromyalgia patients, which have a lot of aches and pains and chronic fatigue and things like that. So the clinic, the patients loved it because they did well, they felt better. But when I would redo their, um, you know, their evaluations, say every six visits or 12 visits, they really weren't improving at all. So they were they were feeling better that day, mm -hmm. but not necessarily getting better long term. The benefit was I started to see their files consistent, meaning they had gut issues, they had autoimmune diseases, they had thyroid issues, they had issues that were very similar across the board. And so a light bulb went off and I and I kind of figured, okay, I'm helping them structurally, but what's their problem mainly is metabolically, hmm. meaning they had high amounts of inflammation, they had, you know, uh, poor energy cycles, things like that. So the reality was, if I wasn't able to get them better internally, I wouldn't improve their physical well being, mm -hmm. right. So that's what started me back to school. And for the past 15, 16 years, I've been working on this functional medicine concept, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, trying to figure out the root cause of some of these problems. Mm -hmm. So getting into gut health, getting into liver function and learning about infections and how adrenals play a factor, how thyroid plays a factor, how blood sugar, as we'll talk about today, plays a factor. So at the end of the day, if I can get their metabolic system right and their inflammation down and work on them physically, their structure and their function, uh, really good job at, I feel, getting them better. So leading us into what I do here is I work with the patients both structurally and then I work with them uh, metabolically too. So I do evaluate their digestive health. I do evaluate their diets and an understanding that these things can be very inflammatory to the body. I, I evaluate how their liver works. I evaluate them and test them for infections and blood sugar and thyroid and hormones and so forth. And then I work whatever is found to help uh, clean those up so that their inflammation at the end of the day is very low and their bodies are just functioning much better. Mm -hmm. So cause versus effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that helps pave the way for the body to help heal itself too. Although there's so many things we can do here to assist that, but that huge, huge thing is cleaning up the internal environment. That's exactly right. So when there's inflammation present, so I use the term, there's fuels like gasoline and then there's a fire. Right, So we can do things to lower the fire in the body, but at the end of the day, we have to get rid of the gasolines. Mm -hmm. And those are all the things that I just spoke about. So if we can go one by one and start cleaning those things up, the patient typically does really, really well. And that's the same for my role in the cancer center too, is with the cancer patients, is making sure that we're identifying the causes of the cancer. Mm -hmm. So unless we change that metabolic environment or their cellular environment, we have a probably a low chance of healing them long term. 
So the idea is not just to get them better short term, but to make sure that we change that environment as to what created or caused the cancer. Mm -hmm. So if we can eliminate those causes and get that metabolic, uh, that cellular function better, we're going to have a better chance of maximizing their healing potential. Mm -hmm. So it's formula based. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, if we do all these things right, we just give the body the best chance to heal. And that's the idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when it comes to diabetes, and we're going to, you know, break this down into a little sure. different things. But what we're really going to be talking about is, is diabetes reversible? And we may just focus on type 2 diabetes. That's really up to you with where you want to sure, take it. But sure. it seems like in general, diabetes is on the rise. Is that true? It is. It's, it's definitely, you know, there's a word that you'll hear sometimes called epidemic rise, right? Where you look at the numbers over the last, say, decade or two, and you see a really, I'll use a meteoric rise, right? It's going, it's going higher and higher. A couple factors that I personally believe, but I think this is well, I think well accepted, is twofold. Number one, we move less. Mm -hmm. We don't have as much activity. And number two, we eat poorly, right? So if, if we go back, say, 100 years, and we look at what's different, one of the main things that's different is, well, two things. Number one, we were doing a lot of farm to table right? The, the, the meat was fresher. You know, we did a lot of fruits and vegetables, less processed, less breads, less grains, things like that. But then also we moved a lot. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, again, looking at this a hundred years ago, we were kind of building the country. So it was a lot of labor intensive jobs, which allowed people to burn the food that they ate fairly quickly. So they were metabolizing it quickly. Nowadays, a lot of sedentary jobs, plus um, poor eating habits. So if you combine those two, in my opinion, that's kind of the, that's it. Mm -hmm. If we had to point to anything. The third one I'll say is we are more inflamed as well. And inflammation also causes, as I'll get into, resistance at the cellular level, especially what they call the insulin resistance or the insulin receptor site. So inflammation is a third, I would say, factor in the rise of diabetes mm -hmm. above and beyond um, movement and and poor eating habits mm -hmm. yeah it really is i think we've created just the perfect storm in modern exactly life right. for disease of any kind of to any just kind. take place that's right i agree i agree 100 percent. so at, at the clinic the biggest thing that we promote is understanding those things and saying okay as an individual what do we find you have going on and we'll talk today about, I use the term biohacks, some simple things that are really inexpensive or even free for a patient to do to prevent diabetes and then also to reverse it. Mm -hmm. So we'll get into that. And then to, to your point earlier, you mentioned different types of diabetes. So I'll touch on briefly the differences. So type 1 diabetes is a situation where the, the immune system has has kind of, con, kind of gone bonkos, right? So the immune system gets um, dysregulated, they'll call it. And now we can identify good cells from bad cells. So the body, the immune system starts to attack its own cellular environment. And in this case, it attacks the pancreas. So mm -hmm. the beta cells can no longer produce insulin. So if we have the, and it's an autoimmune condition, mm -hmm. auto meaning self, immune meaning, right, immune. So um, the immune system starts to attack the pancreas. It disrupts the amount of insulin that the body can make. And then insulin needs to be uh, prevalent in the body so glucose can get into the cell. 
So to keep it simple, glucose piggybacks on insulin and insulin takes the glucose into the cell. So the cell uses it for energy. And so again, if, if it's type one, the pancreas gets attacked. We don't make enough insulin. So the person has to be on insulin. And that's usually, that usually starts juvenile in the early stages, 12, 13, 14 uh, years of age is usually around the onset. Um, and that's a whole different probably topic. Okay. Uh, type two is what they would call adult onset diabetes, type two diabetes. And that's typically because of over indulgence of carbohydrates, which then causes the pancreas to increase its production of insulin over a long period of time. So if the insulin is overproduced over a long period of time, the cell that insulin works on gets tired. So I use the just a simple visual. It's like wet cement versus hard cement. Wet cement, you can penetrate. Hard cement, no good, right? Mm -hmm. It just becomes um, resistant to that insulin and thereby the glucose can't get into the cell. So what happens in type 2 diabetes is the glucose rises in your blood because it can't get into the cell. And then it becomes toxic to the environment. So the body has to store that glucose somehow, some way, and it's stored as triglycerides and fat. Mm -hmm. So then that creates another problem in and of itself with fat deposition in areas that it shouldn't, like around the organs or in the heart vessels. So uh, I know I'm going to kind of a rant, no, no, but, it's good, yeah. but your diabetes is not, uh, it's a cause of, of, of death in the United States, of course, but a lot of people don't die of diabetes. They'll die of heart disease or stroke first mm. because that glucose in the blood has to get stored if it can't get into the cell and it'll get stored as, as triglycerides and fats and it gets stored heavily into the heart arteries. Mm -hmm. So that's where we get the heart disease. And then strokes are just uh, some of that placking breaks off, travels around the body, gets stuck in the brain, and then we have stroke as a result. Yeah. So the body with type two, the body, the cells become resistant, almost desensitized to the insulin. That's correct. So is the insulin still pairing with the glucose? It just can't get in? That's correct. That's exactly right. So really at the end of the day, I mean, there's, there's a twofold problem. If we're taking in too much sugar that converts to glucose, right? What's going to happen is my pancreas is going to have to secrete or produce a lot of insulin. The amount of insulin uh, produced in a day, if it's high consistently, that's what creates the resistance at the cellular level. And I'll use a, a, an, exam, an example. If I drink, say, six ounce cup of coffee today, and I've never had coffee, coffee before, I'm gonna feel that. Most likely, if I have the same six ounce cup of coffee over, say, months or years time, eventually that six ounce cup of coffee won't have the same effect on my on my body. So I would need eight ounces or 10 ounces or 12 ounces to get the same effect that that first cup of coffee gave me. The reason being is because I'm constantly introducing caffeine into the system and the cell that caffeine works on is going to get kind of tired because mm -hmm. it's always there. Insulin's the same way. If I have too much sugar, right, too much glucose, I'm gonna have to overproduce insulin on a constant basis, and that overproduction of insulin is what, in turn, causes the resistance, just like if I had too much caffeine each day. Mm -hmm. It's eventually going to 
wear out mm-hmm. and become desensitized. And I used it, if we're using a visual, it goes from wet cement to hard cement. And now that insulin can't carry the glucose into the cell. Okay. That's insulin resistance. Okay. And then a question I had off of this is, I'm thinking similar to, let's say you can burn out your adrenals because they're producing so much cortisol if you have chronic stress. So can the pancreas get burned out from producing so much insulin that it just can't produce it at adequate amounts anymore? Great question. Yes. So so if I have these high levels of insulin on a regular basis over a long period of time, the pancreas eventually will wear out. And so when we do blood work, it's a good segue into the lab testing. When we do blood work, the one thing I'm looking, well, I'm looking for multiple things. I'm looking for fasting glucose levels. And that's basically if I, if I ate dinner and then didn't eat anything until the morning and I had a blood test, it's roughly a 12 hour glucose test. I wanna see how much glucose is still left in the bloodstream after 12 hours. If it's really high, so, just to, to give you a little uh, reference point, 85 roughly to 99 is normal, what they consider normal glucose 12-hour fasting range. So, I mean, I have patients that sometimes 200, 300, mm-hmm. right? So we know their resistance is really high. So one of the next things I want to look at is what their insulin levels are. Because if their insulin levels are elevated, All right, that's bad, but it's actually good. What it means is their pancreas at least can still make insulin. If they have that elevated blood sugar, right, and their pancreas is, or their insulin, I'm sorry, is low, you're in trouble. And what I mean by that, when we talk about reversing type two, it's very difficult to reverse when the pancreas is worn out. So when I look at those insulin levels, I'm actually, it's a, it's a strange dichotomy. I tell my class when I do classes that, hey, your insulin's elevated. That's good. And they're like, what? And, and, and the reason I say that is because I know we can reverse it mm-hmm. then. But when the pancreas, to your point, is worn out and the insulin's low, excuse me, that's hard to overcome. So somebody might need either insulin prolonged amount of time or they might need medication that help produce more insulin. And that's just, uh, it's something that they'll probably have to be on the medications long term. Mm -hmm. But if the insulin levels are good, then we know we can probably reverse this thing. Mm -hmm. And one of the key things I want to point out that you said was, you said eating carbohydrates, or in other words, foods that turn into glucose. And Mm -hmm. I think that's an important distinction to make and something you can just touch on a little bit more because so many people think diabetes sugar. Right. Right, exactly. No, you're great point. So the things that most people don't aren't aware of that are sugar, right? Breads, anything flour based is a carbohydrate, and it's pretty much a total carbohydrate, 100% that converts into sugar, right? So carbohydrates like or grains, any grains, breads, crackers, cookies, cakes, uh, things like that, potatoes, pastas, they're all heavy, complex carbohydrates that convert into sugar. So over the years, going back to some cause and effect, over the years, our grain consumption has gone through the roof, right? So, you know, bagels used to be maybe, you know, I don't know, 
you know, a very small bagel. Now it's three, four times the size. And then we have our sodas, for example, which can, which are a ton of sugar in fruit juices and, sh- and sodas. Uh, the, the big gulp, if you will, mm-hmm. not the, but the, the, they're, they're huge now, 32 ounces, 48 ounces, uh, which is almost pure sugar. And they, like a caveat, in one can of soda, there's up to 10 tablespoons of, of sugar mm-hmm. in the form of corn syrup. So those are things that uh, I think, uh, to your point, are very important to understand. It's not just sugar. It's where the sugar comes from in our foods. Mm-hmm. So we're big on making sure people understand that. But then going back to this more rudimentary diet, I'll call it, and, and I use the term, if you're on a deserted island, if you can't pick it or chase it, right, then leave it alone. So if you think about that, that, that precludes all your grains because they're processed and manufactured. So if you're on a deserted island by yourself with no machinery, you wouldn't be able to eat those things. So you could eat, you know, fresh, organic, free roaming, wild game, right? Mm-hmm. You could fish if you're on an island. You could probably eat you know, your berries and your fruits and nuts and seeds and avocados and good oils and coconuts and things like that. So whatever the earth offers you, and again, going back a hundred years, we did a lot of farming and we ate a lot of farm fresh foods that were direct. It, it didn't have a lot of middlemen and it didn't, and the, and the, the livestock were able to roam freely and eat the vegetation. It was just all healthier, cleaner, and more what I'll call one ingredient type of foods. Mm, yeah. And it's a big deal. So the processed foods are one of the biggest factors as it relates to diabetes, for mm-hmm. sure. So great point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you, so one thing I did want to ask is yeah. I was reading that many people are actually undiagnosed with insulin resistance. Certainly. So how could you be insulin resistant and not know? Can you okay. break that down? Absolutely. So subjectively so there's there's two ways that as a healthcare provider you try to figure things out we figure things out subjectively which means what the patient is telling you and then objectively what the lab show you sometimes people can have resistance and be what they call dysglycemic right which or hyperglycemic which means their blood sugar is fluctuating high but it's not um it's not pathologic enough or it's not bad enough to show on a lab. Mm. So it's a great point. So what we'll see if I eat and I get fatigued after meals, right? Or I'm craving sweets a lot. Those are the top two that if you're getting those, you're starting to get into insulin resistance. Now I'll make a counterpoint to that. Sometimes we'll see this term dysglycemia means we have fluctuating blood sugar levels. So we'll see somebody that'll have Uh, fatigue after meals, they crave a lot of sweets, right? But also if they miss meals, they get shaky, jittery, irritable, hangry, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so that person's starting to bounce from hyperglycemia, too much blood sugar, to too little blood sugar. And as a caveat, that dysglycemia creates a massive or copious amount of of inflammation in the body. So it's one, as a functional medicine specialist, it's one of the things that we're taught to get right early in the process is that blood sugar regulation. Mm. So it's subjectively, we can tell by symptoms fairly quickly if somebody's having some insulin resistance. Might not even take labs, but if we ask the right questions in an intake form, mm-hmm. we could start to, to, to get on top of that fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And if point. it's not showing up on a test, 
that maybe is a good sign that it's still at a place where you could reverse it fairly easily. Absolutely. Another great point, because sometimes I think patients will wait for the labs to come up, right? So I tell patients, if the symptoms are there, you're already on your way. It's already going on. It's just not severe enough to start showing on a lab. So if we have subjectively those symptoms, I, I try to explain as, as best I can where they're headed and why. And then we start to get on a protocol to help reverse it so it doesn't get worse. Mm-hmm. And it usually is in conjunction with other issues. You know, we'll start to see, you mentioned the adrenals. The stress glands produce cortisol. They're the adrenal glands. Cortisol and blood sugar go almost hand in hand. And then that starts to get affected. We start to get thyroid issues. Then all those get affected. We start to see hormonal imbalances. So the entire endocrine system from insulin to thyroid to cortisol to hormones start to get involved when we see these minor deviations uh, symptom-wise. So before it gets too, too bad, where we really have to make major changes and big protocol uh, shifts, uh, it's, it's fairly easy. I, I always use this term, prevention's always easier than the cure, or the earlier in the process that we get it is definitely going to make for a much easier uh, cleanup. Mm-hmm, so yeah. yeah, great point. And that's really the concept of functional medicine, integrative medicine is let's stop it before it's there. And as you said, symptoms are warning signs. That's exactly and right. And whereas I think the conventional medicine approach is very much, let's wait until there's a raging fire. That's exactly and right. And then we'll pour water on it. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. And, and to your point, wait till the raging fire, pour water on it and... But leave and the this kindling is, there to recatch. That's exactly right. That was the point. It, it's like, okay, now we what we have to do after that is after we pour water on it. And, you know, as it relates to diabetes, you know, I, over the years, I, I've kind of softened a little bit in my stance. And what I mean by that is when I'm treating uh, sometimes a patient to get out of danger, they may need some medication, Right. And, that's, and we understand that. So this is understanding the conventional model and the integrative model or the functional med model. But if we do that, we absolutely want to, in conjunction with, get rid of the causes. And that means if we have to change our diet, if we have to do intermittent fasting, which I'm, we'll talk about, if I have to get my exercise going, I have to start taking maybe some supplements to wake up the receptor site, we can do all those while you're on the med and then med make the med obsolete. Mm-hmm. And so I've softened a little bit in that. I used to be all, you know, just do natural. But, I, but I've realized that sometimes we have to get somebody out of danger. And sometimes using the med can be a quicker way to do that. But it's not the only plan. And that's my, if I had a beef, if you will, with that mentality, is sometimes they leave, like you said, the kindling there. So the problem if I'm on medication, as example, and we'll get into this, but if I'm on medication and I'm, I'm stabilizing my blood sugar, for example, but I haven't addressed any of the causes, as soon as you take that medication away, you still have the problem. Mm-hmm. So we want that mentality to go the step further and say, no, we want to clean up the metabolic um, you know, environment or the, uh, uh, the cellular environment get rid of the causes, I don't need the meds, and the problem's gone. Mm -hmm. That's with type 2 diabetes, that's something that absolutely can be done with most patients that we see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so can you outline the conventional approach to treating diabetes, and then that's what will lead us into really an integrative approach and how those differ so much? Sure, yeah, so 
most of the time, if you saw a, a conventional specialist for diabetes, they're probably going to put you on medication, right? The medications are, uh, there's different classifications of them, and some work on um, stimulating the uh, pancreas to produce more insulin. So the more insulin, the more I can get the blood sugar into the cell, right? Some will work on the liver and they'll basically block the, the liver from producing and or releasing sugar, right? So the liver is an area where blood sugar is stored. So that some of the drugs like metformin is one of them, or glucophage, uh, works directly on the liver. Others work on the, the muscle tissue to absorb more glucose from the cells or from the blood uh, stream, I should say. So conventionally, depending on what the lab show, so hypothetically, say somebody's low on insulin, well, they're going to give them something that produces, helps produce more insulin, right? If the insulin's fine, they might work on the liver or they might work on the cellular um, or the muscle absorption of more glucose to lower uh, the blood sugar. Either way, they're basically band-aiding the problem, okay? Mm -hmm. So as it relates to what we're trying to do, we're trying to give you the, the opportunity to, number one, get your blood sugar down. Number two, that's going to in turn lower your insulin levels consistently. If we can get those insulin levels down consistently, what's going to happen is the cell wall will wake up, meaning it will turn from hard cement to soft cement. So then the glucose can get in or the insulin and the glucose piggyback, if you will, can get in the cell. So going from hard to soft cement is the key. But the number one key to that, we have to make sure your insulin levels stay low consistently. The only way to do that is to make sure your blood sugar is low consistently. Mm -hmm. So that's, we'll segue a little bit yeah. into what we need to do to, to, to accomplish that. So there's, there's three main bio, I call them biohacks because they're things that you could do that are, that are free for the most part, uh, other than maybe modifying your diet a little bit, uh, but that can be done to reverse this for most people. So number one, intermittent fasting. Okay. So when I, and, and just for clarification, intermittent fasting is done daily and I'll use myself in, as, as an example. My first meal of the day is around noon. I'll eat till about six or seven at night. It might go a little later once in a while. And then I'll shut down and I won't eat again until noon the next day. So intermittent fasting is 16 to 18 hours of fast time and about six to eight hours of eating time. So as an example, I'll eat at noon, I'll eat around three and I'll eat around six. So I still have three meals a day. I space them out three hours apart. And the reason that's important is because when I eat, and if I do eat carbohydrates, it takes a little bit of time uh, for the insulin and the glucose to go back to normal, right? So we want that. We want it. We want to use uh, insulin to get the glucose into the cell, and then we want to give it a little rest. And that usually is at the two-hour mark. So between two and three hours, then I eat again, and I have that process done over. So three squares a day. Okay, and then I fast the rest of the time. What when I fast, what's happening is my blood sugar is going down because my body, the first thing my body's gonna use for energy is going to be glucose, mm -hmm. right? So it drains the blood of the glucose. The next thing it's gonna have to do is get to my liver stores. So if you think of a of a swimming pool, 
Think of a swimming pool that I open up, you know, I, I create a hole in and the swimming pool starts to drain. When you're fasting, you're draining your liver of glucose. So then when the glucose is out of the liver, we know it's already out of the blood, the blood because that's what our body needs to use as energy when we're fasting. Out of the liver, now it's going to have to use the next source of energy, which is fat. So we start to turn on fat burning. Mm. And so uh, very important because twofold, it starts fat burning, which is very, very helpful for the metabolic system, right? But also because my glucose is low and my uh, and my liver stores are low, I'm not producing insulin. So the insulin receptor site gets to start a break, have a break. And that's what will wake it up again. So I use that quick analogy. If I had caffeine, right? So say I had caffeine and then I took a break from caffeine. Say, say two weeks, a month, whatever. And then I had caffeine again. You're going to feel mm-hmm. a, a jolt from that where you didn't before because you gave it a rest. So we need that rest to be able to wake up the receptor site. So the fasting is one of the best ways you can do that, okay? The second thing that you could do is exercise. And there's twofold to this. Mm-hmm. One, intense exercise. Getting your heart rate up, we won't get into, there's a formula for it, um, but the reality is if you're huffing and puffing for about 10 minutes or so, right? That's going to increase so many good things. It's going to increase growth hormone, increase dopamine, but it also helps to wake up the receptor site to start reversing this type 2 diabetes. So the studies are clear that 10 minutes versus 30 minutes of high-intensity exercise turns on the same pathways and does the same thing. So I tell patients to start even 5 minutes, 10 minutes of this high-intensity exercise, stop. If that's all you did, it's going to be a good benefit. But then the other part of it is we do need to change your, your fat into muscle, right? Which is the lean body mass. So then resistance training is going to help that over a longer process, mm-hmm. longer period. Because at the end of the day, we do need to change the body mass because your metabolism is going to go much higher. Muscle burns calories twice the rate as fat. So if we start to transform the body, now we're going to be, the body's going to be working for us, not against us, right? So uh, your intermittent fasting, right, to, to keep your blood sugar down, which then will keep the insulin levels down, which will wake up the receptor site. Number two, I start speeding that process up by high intensity exercise, followed by some light resistance training. Could be light bands, could be just using your body weight with squats and lunges and things like that, uh, which we could probably get into another time. But at least you know, okay, I could do some some, uh, high intensity, I could do some light um, resistance training. And then the final one is what you're going to put into the body like we talked about. That paleo concept of higher fat, moderate protein, lower carbohydrate intake, uh, and more clean burning, um, you know, farm to table mm-hmm. type of foods are going to be a huge benefit. So I tell patients, you know, a typical, if you have a typical meal, if you're still eating meats, right, I I definitely recommend organic or free roaming. So you can do maybe a small amount of meat, maybe a, a palm sized portion, you could do a good amount of fat, say you had some avocado, or you had, um, 
gosh, some good raw walnuts or almonds or something like that. And then you had a low carbohydrate something. So maybe it's some vegetables, some Brussels sprouts or some asparagus or something like that. A meal like that is low carb, moderate protein and higher fat. That's what you want to have. Plus, they're all one ingredient foods. Mm, there's yeah. there's something that you could if you're on a deserted island, you could eat it. It's not processed. They're not there's not multiple ingredients. Right. So if we're doing those three things right there, you have a great chance of totally reversing uh, type two diabetes. Mm-hmm. I know it's long winded, but mm-hmm. gives you a little yeah. insight. And I wanted to ask, too, are you guys doing in general all the same tests that conventional medicine is doing and then some? Good, good question. Yeah. So uh, I know for me, I want to see your fasting glucose, which we talked about. I want to see your insulin levels to find out if we still have a chance to reverse it. So if it's normal or high, believe it or not, that's good because we know your, uh, your pancreas is still producing. It's your A1C. It's something called hemoglobin A1C. So real quick with that test, it, the, the lab range from five, six and above shows that there's insulin resistance. When we start to get sick, 6.4, 6.8, we, we know that there's type 2 diabetes pretty much set in. And really, you know, whether it's considered type 2 or just what we talked about with symptoms of, of tiredness after eating or craving sweets, we treat it the same way, mm. right? It's just it's just that to, to be able to compare apples to apples, I think, in the in the healthcare community, but it's still a problem, so we still deal with it the same way. The other things that we'll look at are sometimes C-peptide, which is kind of a storage form of insulin. The the difference though, so we we test it very similarly. It's just how we interpret it, mm-hmm. and then what we do about it. Mm-hmm. That's really the the key. And then you guys also will take it a step further and look at, as you called them, the fuels to the fire, Yep. which is what else is creating inflammation in your body? And, and can you touch on some of those things that yeah. can create that inflammation? Absolutely. So uh, if I'm using a list, right, a checklist, foods are going to be the first place I look and not just um, for sugar and diabetes, but also what could be creating inflammation. So some of the things that we see uh, daily that will create high amounts of inflammation are, are your glutens, right? There's a protein called transglutaminase, which is found in wheat. That's a biggie. Dairy products, uh, the casein protein is very difficult for the human body to digest. Our, our modified soy proteins, right? They're all biggies. And then, and then corns and peanuts and things like that. There's a list that we look at, but the main things are to get rid of the high inflammatory foods as well, not just um, not just for sugar or diabetes, mm. but inflammation. So foods are going to be high on the list. And then your digestive health, right? So there's a five R's program that we use for digestive health. It's remove the foods, right? Replace digestive enzymes, revive the microbiome with good pre and probiotics, repair the, the gut mucosal lining from something called leaky gut, and then we want to remove the fifth R's to remove infections if they're there, which are things like candida overgrowth, parasitic infections, bacterial infections, etc. Most of my patients over the last 15 to 20 years, the gut is somewhere that I start, at least from an evaluation standpoint, because most guts are not working well. Mm. You know, as we age, we get reduced amounts of enzymes and we have lower amounts of hydrochloric acid. We get something called dysbiosis where our good and bad bacteria is in a bad ratio. 
right? We have leaky gut, we see infections. And because the, um, the gut is 70% of our immune barrier, it's somewhere that I, I just, I, I look at first and foremost. So I'll ask those questions. Do you get bloating and irritability? Do you get constipation and diarrhea? Do you, do you know you have gut issues? And most people go, oh yeah, my digestive system's been a mess for a while. So that will then create inflammation. You know, the body's gonna not break down certain foods right, and then the immune system doesn't know what to do with that, so it attacks it. And then if we have infections in the gut, that will simulate, stimulate the immune system, which is inflammatory. Um, so the gut is a big deal. If your liver is not detoxing properly, that's a big deal because toxins are gonna be looked at by the immune system as a foreign invader, so it's gonna crank up the fire your other infections, viral infections like Epstein-Barr viruses, um, bacterial infections, uh, parasitic infections, fungal infections like mold and, and candida that we already mentioned could be a factor. So those are things that could create uh, or mimic the immune system looking at a foreign invader and attacking it. So undigested proteins could be that, toxins mm. could be that, obviously infectious materials could be that. So all these different things can crank up the, uh, the inflammation in the body. And as we talked about, sometimes it's a good segue because sometimes we'll have skinny type two diabetics, mm. right? So, so I would say typically we'll see somebody that definitely knows they've overeaten. They might be a little bit bigger, you know, uh, on, a, on the obese scale, that then creates the type 2 diabetes, right? It's really just a carb overload. But we will also see skinny type 2 diabetics that eat well and don't have these, these problems. What they're going through is inflammation that is shutting down the receptor site. Oh, wow. So then we have to look at it from a totally different perspective than just the foods and the exercise and things like that. Now we have to identify what fuels are fueling the fire. And so it goes, you know, gut and, and foods and liver and, and infections. Typically, there's some infectious issues going on, creating an inflammation, inflammatory process, closing down that receptor site. Mm -hmm. So as we clean that up, we're able to get the, the type 2 diabetes reversed that way. And then, you know, things like type 2 diabetes or blood sugar imbalances in and of itself are very inflammatory to the body. So I talked about dysglycemia, bouncing from high to low blood sugar, very inflammatory to the body. Um, when your cortisol levels are, are up or down, very inflammatory to the body. So there's other things too that we wanna look at from a checklist standpoint. And a lot of times it's, it's dependent upon their symptoms when they come in as to how we prioritize all that. But it, personally, I like to make sure we look at all of those areas to know that we're eliminating as many or all the causes because we know at the end of the day, if we do that, inflammation calms down, the cell, as, as it relates to diabetes, the receptor site can start waking up. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if we change diet and exercise and, and intermittent fast, it's only another added bonus to getting this whole thing right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. hopefully that made some sense. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. And then can you break down, because I think one of the things that stands out most about Center for New Medicine is the unique advanced science-based testing you guys do here. Yeah. So can you explain or just touch on some of the specific options you sure. have here that 
help people find this information? Yeah, no question. Yeah, so when we're talking about causes specifically, so when we when we talked about insulin resistance or type two, we mentioned those tests, right? But then if we if we do some if they're filling out certain paperwork and we're seeing certain symptoms, then we go, okay, for the gut, what can we do for the gut? Well, we could test for leaky gut. We could test for infections in the gut. Sometimes uh, we could do have them do upper GI studies, lower GI studies. We could have them do SIBO testing, which is a small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. We can um, we could do a stool ecology, which will tell us candida. It could tell us about overgrowth of bacteria. It could have parasites and and worms and things like that. Um, in addition, I use Molly a lot. So Molly Finney is is a bio. Um, they'll call it a bioimmune specialist. She uses uh, energy, right, to figure out, choose your body's energy and impedances in those energy meridians through the, the energy through the meridians and impedances can tell her that you have certain things going on. And that's been really, really helpful because to, to keep it simple, energy testing can pick up things before lab testing can. Mm-hmm. So it's much more sensitive. So we can catch things early uh, before it, becomes out of control, so to speak. So we have testing, uh, the gut, all that that I just mentioned is a lot of the gut testing. Then we could do um, heavy metal testing. So we have different tests like provocative tests uh, for heavy metals. We could do blood testing. We do urine testing. Um, We could do mycotoxins. So for mold exposure, um, mycotoxins are a big deal in health. So we we tend to test, I tend to test those a lot. So we'll do that. We could do your viral panels through uh, blood testing, Epstein-Barr's, cytomegaly, herpes simplex, uh, you know, the different ones and twos. And, and generally speaking, we're just looking for if you have these fuels to the fire. And if that's going on, we're not going to be able to heal you no matter what's going on. So I, I tell patients that even if, say they have type 2 diabetes related to these, in, these fuels and inflammation, they're going to have other chronic problems mm-hmm. sometime down the road if those aren't taken care of. And one we see, unfortunately, a ton of is cancer. Mm-hmm. So the immune system gets so overwhelmed. It's almost like if you have too many fuels to the fire and too many things for the immune system to fight, it becomes a boxer in the 15th round. It just can't keep up the fight. So eventually things are going to start breaking down. The immune system's not gonna be able to recognize good from bad. And then you're gonna have these tumors, if you will, these cancer cells form tumors. And that's what typically happens. Mm -hmm. So these fuels to the fire are more than just diabetes. It's chronic disease in general. Mm -hmm. So yeah, those tests, um, trying to think just going through gut, liver, um, infections, um, go ahead. F-Scan. F-Scan oh, yeah. and Firefly is a really great one you guys do for the gut test. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so Dr. Bells has uh, other uh, kind of electro, uh, using electro fields and electromagnetic fields and things like that to be able to identify things and then also be able sometimes to kill things. So his his um, machines can, can help kill um, if we have liver flukes or we have parasites or worms or things like that. It can definitely be a resource to help eliminate those. Sometimes it's it's supplements that could help. Sometimes it's even medications, and sometimes it's it's uh, resources like Dr. Bell's uh, that we can use. So the great thing about being here 
I say this all the time to patients because they ask me what I did before. And so I have my own practice for 17 years and I kind of semi-retired. But before I came back, uh, I wanted to find out if a place like this needed someone like myself because when I did all this on my own, I had to refer out constantly. Mm. And it's very, very difficult when you want to do the right thing by the patient and you know all these things are in play you're only one person, you can't do it all. And then you'd have to find good people to refer to. And believe it or not, it was very, very difficult. I'd, I'd get patients come back and said, Oh, that that person's no good. And they don't believe the same things you believe. And you know, it, it made it very difficult. So coming here uh, is the best thing I think I could have ever done. Because we have MDs, we have nurse practitioners, we have uh, ph physician's assistants, we have all these resources and modalities and therapies under one roof that we can refer uh, in, in the building. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm not alone on an island. And I felt that way sometimes. I, I could tell you, I'm very schooled at a lot of things, but obviously you don't know everything mm -hmm. and you need help sometimes. And I think a group effort for a lot of patients is the best thing to, to do, especially when the group is all on the same page. That's the thing I love about this clinic the most is that I go home every day, I go, I'm not on an island. I'm not by myself trying to figure all this stuff out. I have resources here, whether it's the physicians, the doctors, the clinicians, or the modalities or the treatments or whatever. Mm -hmm. So beautiful thing. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and the patient isn't alone on an island either trying to go to all these different people and that's right, you know, exactly stake right. their ground, convince them that what they're doing is right. You come here and you have 50 plus nurses and doctors and like you said, PAs, everyone who's all on the same page. And so maybe you're seeing Dr. Roney mm -hmm. um, and while you're getting your IV, you're talking with the nurse about it and she's so encouraging and or the patient next to you is talking to you about it. It's really such an encouraging, inspirational atmosphere. It is. It's it's the vision, um, you know, and I marvel sometimes because, um, you know, I've, I've worked. The vision was to have something like this where I have everything under one roof. It's just incredibly difficult to get there, to find the right people. So the fact that Dr. Keneally was able to achieve this, I marvel at it. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and I know why, because she's nonstop. I mean, I, I say this all the time. She, we, I get emails and texts constantly about, you know, new things that that research is showing. I mean, her nose is in the book constantly. Mm -hmm. And so I understand now I probably honestly wasn't working as hard as I thought I was now that I met her. Um, <laughs> so but I but again, the, the idea was have everything under one roof, because in this world uh, of healthcare there's too many cooks stirring the pot. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So if you realize if you really delve into it, the specialist really killed, I think the the healthcare um, outcomes. And so this primary doctor years ago was a doctor that could really delve into a lot of these different areas and understood the body extremely well. It's my opinion that the specialist, the, the heart specialist and the, the digestive specialist and, you know, the immune specialist and all that, you have a lot of different specialists that the primary doctor can fall back on. So I think sometimes it may make them a little bit, I, don't, I hate to use the term lazy, but they go, oh, I'll just refer you out. And then that person refers to somebody else. And then that person refers to somebody else. And I believe firmly there lies the problem. There's nobody quarterbacking it, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's too many, too many different opinions on what to do. 
So again, being here in this clinic, it's all under one roof. Mm -hmm. We just walk down the hall and be like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, a it's a beautiful thing. Or I send a quick email because we're all busy, right? Or, and I say, hey, what do you think about this? And I get a quick email right back. And then I go, okay, we're on the right path. Or, nope, we need to modify it. That's mm -hmm. the group effort. Uh, but being under one roof, really, a it's so important. I can't emphasize that enough. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's so important for yeah. patients. Yeah. And to your point, the specialist also, while they may know about that one organ or area they're treating, that's the only thing they're treating. So they're treating In a your heart disease. Yeah. But they're not thinking about what they're doing is how it's affecting the rest of the body. And so I love that here every practitioner here is treating and thinking of the entire body every step of the way. That's right. You couldn't be a better point. Uh, and that's exactly what happens. Okay, I'm going to evaluate you for my expertise. This is in the conventional world as a specialist. And anything other than that, I have to send you to other doctors. And you'll hear and, and patients that are listening to this know exactly what we're talking about. Because behind closed doors, that's what we hear constantly. And that's what they love about the clinic. It's I can, I can get an appointment with Dr. Roney about my diabetes, and he could also talk about uh, viruses, and he could talk about my gut health, and he could talk about we're, we're looking at everything to get that cellular environment better that allows, that's going to be conducive to healing and take away all those negative things and put all these positive things in place. And then if I don't know it, like I said, I can go around the corner, down the hall and have three MDs with different strengths and weaknesses, right? That could help me uh, with those mm -hmm. uh, issues as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah all no. way in. Yeah. Yep. All, all in. Yeah. Well, we're about to close out here, but I okay. did want to touch on real quick because I know that there are, maybe it's not the end game, but there are a lot of supplements that can be really helpful in the beginning stages of mm -hmm. something in the beginning stages of detoxification. But when it comes to diabetes in particular, are there any perfectly healthy supplements that you find patients respond really well to or are helping them with that journey? Definitely. So, so the first thing that I work with is making sure that inflammation is low. So there's a concept or a formula that I follow no matter what. I want to know if their fire is high, right? I'm pouring water on it. Mm -hmm. And then I'm looking at the causes, right? So uh, my go-tos, curcumin, right? Curcumin or turmeric, but curcumin is the active form of turmeric. So perfectly healthy brand is very, very good for that. Resveratrol. So resveratrol and curcumin combined are extremely good for these what they call anti or inflammatory cytokines or inflammatory proteins. So it helps bring them down. The others are going to be your vitamin D's, right? That's a very good immune regulator. Uh, your fish oils, uh, omega threes, very very good. And then something called glutathione. Okay. So my go to even personally because always remember inflammation is always the root cause of major disease processes. So the first thing we want to do is make sure we're lowering that inflammatory response. It gives us a, a good, I guess, starting point to get some momentum. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have those things. Then what I'll do with the patient is, of course, we'll recommend paleo, we'll recommend uh, intermittent fasting, and then we'll recommend the high intensity exercise. Also, though, things that are that can help open up the receptor site. Okay. Turn that hard cement into soft cement. Yes, ma'am. Okay. That's exactly right. Berberine is one of the top things. So berberine is very, very good to get that, that receptor site 
awakened, if you will. And, and the levels or the amounts that we use is definitely dependent upon how bad the situation is. So I tell patients this when they're working with any supplement, there's really not a right or wrong dose. It's very particular to how much fire you have and how much water we have to put on it. So somebody could use, you know, two capsules twice a day of berberine. I've had patients, uh, I'll use one as an example, came in, their blood sugar was, I think, 278, 300, somewhere in that range. Their A1C, and if you remember, five, six is the top end of that that we want to see. It was nine. So I put them on... Of course, the three that I talked about as far as the biohacks, paleo and and intermittent fasting and so forth. But then I put them on berberine, but I put them on four capsules, two to three times a day. And then there's other products that contain things like burdock root and chromium and things like that, that when you really, and it's too much to get into today, but when you really break down the pathways of this insulin resistance, we need to address the pathways that are blocked or not working well. And some of these products, uh, there's one from Apex Energetics. It's outside of the Perfectly Healthy brand, mm-hmm. but it's called Glycoberine, has the, the a berberine in it. Another one's called Glycoberine MX, which will also have burdock root that turns on one of the proteins called AMPK, which facilitates fat burning instead of fat storage. So that's a big deal to have. And then a product called Glycine uh, that has chromium and also resveratrol, it'll have burdock root in it. It'll have some of these things that that need to be in the system for this insulin resistance to turn around. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't use all of them all the time. It just depends on the person and how aggressive I need to be. But there are supplements that can mimic the, um, the medications, right? So we can go natural with the supplements. But as I tell patients, and, and this one particular patient that, I, that I'm, I'm thinking of and I've been working with, not really love loving exercise, okay. right? <laughs> so we were able to get that patient down using all these different things from that 278, and I think that's accurate, down about 115 to 110 on, on average as far as her blood sugar. And then her A1C is now, last time we checked it was 5'7", down from a very high nine, mm-hmm. right? So she's almost in the clear. The one thing she keeps asking is, do I have to keep taking these supplements? Do I, you know, you don't, but the one thing she's not doing is exercising. I can tell you unequivocally if, and I'll back up, sometimes metabolically they're not feeling well enough to exercise. They're very tired, they're very fatigued, things like that. Totally understand that. Once we start, so I need to do my job and guide you to where we could start getting the blood sugar regulated and we could do some of these things uh, that don't necessarily require a lot of energy. And then when your energy levels come up, then we need to start getting the exercise going. It's so crucial. If you remember from the beginning, we talked about what we eat and the sedentary lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Quick example, not to get too long-winded. Michael Phelps, the swimmer, the gold medal, like multiple, multiple gold medal swimmer, used to eat probably 15,000 calories a day. (laughs) 70 plus percent were carbohydrates, so pancakes and waffles and things like that. He didn't develop diabetes because he literally burned it almost the minute he ate it. Mm -hmm. So what was going in was not sitting in his body doing damage. His metabolic engine was so high, it was burning it right Mm -hmm. off. So 
the exercise part of this is such a critical element. So the point I make made with this patient is, if you start exercising, you're, you're eating paleo, you're doing the intermittent fasting, and you start getting the exercise going, you'll probably be able to get off all the supplements. Because really, they're a Band-Aid, just like metformin would be a Band-Aid. It's all the other things that you do to be able to change the cellular environment that's gonna allow the Band-Aid to be ripped off. Mm -hmm. And that's a big factor. So mm -hmm. I'm just using natural supplements as opposed to a metformin to do the same job, but I'm also incorporating the cause versus effect mm -hmm. mentality. Yeah, and the supplements are, first of all, they're not harmful. They're not Correct. creating other side effects like many, many medications Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And then on top of that, the supplements are very intentionally designed to heal the root causes so that, of course, you can, you know, the goal is to get off of them eventually. Yep, exactly right. And then, of course, we look at if there's other um, fuels to the fire going on, you know, the gut needs support and or, you know, there's infections and so forth. There's very specific protocols that we'll use for those. And mostly they're um, they're designed to clean it up, heal it and then come off of it. Mm -hmm. So it, it, the, the idea is um, I was taught this early on the pill book in medicine and the herb book in 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 I'll call it um, the naturopathic or, or alternative lifestyle approach is written the same way. If you have this symptom, take this medication. Mm -hmm. If you have this symptom, take this herb or botanical. We definitely don't want to just do that. Mm -hmm. We don't want to just substitute uh, the medication for a natural supplement and use it as the Band-Aid. We definitely want to use it to fix a problem and then not necessarily have to use it long term. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. So that's where the biohacks come in. That's where actually changing, you know, your diet and and intermittent fasting. So you lower the insulin levels and sugar levels and then exercising. I mean, those three alone can do wonders. And then you add for a period of time some of the supplements and you could probably do some really good damage mm, in a positive way. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Roney. And for anyone who is wanting to book an appointment with you, they can go to our Center for New Medicine website. They can call our phone number, which I'll make sure both are linked and listed in the show notes below. But sure. that was amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, that was so comprehensive. I love it. I love it. Uh, sometimes a little talkative. I understand that. <laughs> but I love to teach because sometimes you're just not getting the information. So I just want to make sure you at least get it so you have uh, informed decisions to make. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best that we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Mm -hmm.